0: Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. I'm trying to figure out, this is going to sound very odd when I say this to you, What I'm going to preach this morning, uh, we're not sure yet, isn't that, something, isn't that great? So, that's good, that's good. Good morning to all. Uh, pray for my son Josh. He was here with y'all last week. He got COVID. But well, that's how I said, well, that's what, that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> no mercy for me, by no means. So, I preached, I'm not preaching that here. Cut the wrong sermon out. But I am doing something. I'm going to do a little change so it's going to be good. And 1036, we're fine. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 8. Let me read this verse to you. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he shall also reap. All right? For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from his flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit reaps eternal life. So basically, If you sow good, you reap good. If you sow bad, you reap bad. Right? Pretty simple. I mean, we can figure that verse out. Uh, There are what they call seven laws of principle when it comes to this portion of Scripture. I want to share them with you before I start the message. Number one, we reap only what has been sown. So if nothing's been given, nothing can be reaped. A lot of the things that I research today, they're not my own thoughts. They're somebody else's thoughts that was years before me. We reap a lot of things that we benefit from. For example, I live, of course, in Asheboro, and we have this house. On this house, let me tell you what's on this house, in, in on our property, we have peach trees, apple trees, blueberries galore, I mean, we, we got blueberry, rows of blueberry from this wall to that back wall, four of them. Blueberries all you want. And that When the guys set them up, they plant, I mean, they, they they come in harvest throughout the whole summer. So I've got first blueberries, second blueberries, third blueberries. I, I mean, I could go from blueberries about the whole summer long. So I got blueberries, I got cherries. I mean, I got a lot of stuff. I got persimmons. Thank you. Persimmons galore. I got them big old cherry bush persimmons. Big cherry persimmons. Guess what? You know who's reaping that? This guy. (laughs) Did I plant any any of that? No. But who's reaping it? This guy. The guy that lived in the house that I live in now was the agriculture director for Montgomery County. And, buddy, he was, like, unbelievable. He had all this stuff, and every spring and summer, it is glory to God. And when I go walk around there, I think, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Number two is this. We reap the same kindness we sow. As I've said, if you sow bad, you reap bad. Three, we reap in a different season than we sow. You don't plant a tomato seed today and get a tomato in your hand tomorrow. That was pretty simple. Four, you reap more than you sow. If this was not true, nobody would farm. So you reap more than you sow. The principle of sowing and reaping. Number five, we reap in proportion as we sow. Get this point. If I sow a little, I reap a little. If I sow a lot, I reap a lot. But it's up to me. If I put a little time in my family, I can get a lot of time out. It's all what I sow and reap. Much time on this. Uh, six, we reap the four harvest of good, only if we persevere. In other words, weeds grow by themselves. So as you're as you're busy reaping, you got to know that you're going to come through some hard times. Seven, I cannot do anything about last year's harvest. It's over. That's why Paul says in Philippians, this one thing I do, forget the past. If it hadn't been for last year's harvest, if it hadn't been for that marriage, if it hadn't been for that job, if it hadn't been for this, you can't do anything about last year's harvest. Move on. It's time to go. The reason I'm showing you these principles, we got a guy in this story that we're going to look at by the name of Jacob. Uh, he's running from his brother Esau. He pretended to be Esau and he wasn't. So that's never good. So I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to catch you up. Then I'm going to decide where I'm going to go with this sermon. Because, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know. Isn't that great? I love this. I was so sure what I was going to preach up until 9 o'clock this morning. I just finished at Foster Street and I got in my car, and God said, we're changing everything. I know you had this plan, but this just what's going on. So these are the kind of services I just love. Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. He looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. Uh, for from that... Well, they watered the flocks. Now, the stone on the mouth of the well was large, when all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. And they put the stone back in its place at the mouth of the well. So they would get there. The things were big. I told you two weeks ago, you need more help to get it. We read on this story and we see this nice looking woman, Rachel, come down. Jacob goes absolutely crazy. He cannot believe that this woman is in front of his eyes. He goes crazy over this woman. Well, he says he will work seven years. He worked seven years and he gets up the next morning and what's the phrase in the verse? Behold, it was who? Leah. That will be something. I'm going to marry this one woman. Boom. And the next morning... Behold, it's Leah. That's a shock. Well, what I want to say about that is this. Jacob will learn more about God, more about life, more about himself from Leah than he will from Rachel. Here's the point. The worst parts of your life is where you learn the most. You will minister to people in your life out of your greatest pain. So what is your greatest pain in life? What is your greatest disappointment in life? What is your greatest heartbreak in life? You can look at it and say, if it had not been for that, I could have done this. I know that. But I'm telling you again, from your greatest pain, that's where you will minister to people the best. And that's true. As I was researching this story, uh, I was doing some family uh, ancestry stuff, and I had to call up my cousin Betty. You know you're getting old in life when your cousin is 88 years old. Betty's 88. She lives in Texas. And I said, Betty, will you tell me about my grandpa? Because I was raised by my grandma, my grandma lived with me and my mom until I was 15, and she died. So she told me about my grandpa. This is my grandpa. You see this picture. Uh, it's like white earth, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought. That's Grant Wims, and that's Mary Wims. Uh, Mary lived to be 88. And I used to have to give my grandma insulin shots every day. I didn't know how to do it, so I had to practice on me first, I remember. And I filled it with water, put it in there, and I thought, it's going to be tough, Grandma. <laughs> 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 but we got it done. So I know a lot about my grandma. In fact, one of the main reasons I know Jesus is because of my grandma. I said, tell me about him. She says, well, your grandma had a was a very adventurous young woman. I said, in what way? Y'all remember back in, she was born in the late 1800s. Back then, she said, she would dress up as a boy, which would be normal today. (laughs) (laughs) But she she would dress up as a boy, right? And she would put her hair under her hat and her family needed money for food and stuff. And she would go to neighbors' houses and cut wood. And they would think she was a boy. And she thought it was so funny that they could never figure out she was a girl. And she did that for two years. And she would dress up as a boy, go cut wood, and get money for the the family. I said, well, tell me about Grandpa. She said, he was something. He was a U.S. Marshal for 20 years, which explains the wider mustache. U.S. Marshal for 20 years. He retired after 20 years and he is according to cousin Betty, 20 years older than my grandma. Now, they got married. Best line coming up. You ready? First cousins. First cousins. I told this to the crowd at Fox Street. They laughed. I said, laugh all you want. But I bet if you go back in your family tree, you find first cousins marrying one another. It's there. The point being, we all got drama and trauma in our past. We all do. All of us has been affected by sin. Damaged by sin. All of us in this room need Healing everlast one of us. And if you say you don't, you need it the most. Because you're full of pride. You're stuck up. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So if you think you don't need healing, oh, you need a lot of healing. Like I said about three weeks ago, I'm I'm about 10% healed in my life. I got a long way to get healed from. So I asked about Grandpa, U.S. Marshal, and Betty said he was quite a strong man. He had a reputation of being able to take a man down with one arm. You just didn't cross him. He retired after 20 years, and I said, What else you know about him? She said he would go home there in Poole, West Virginia, and was set in the living room with the fireplace, and for hours on end, Stare into it. Just look. They would say, Grant! Grant! Found out he was a manic depressant. Fought it his whole life. He'd go outside and take his rifle and sit under the barn with his gun Family got so concerned about him that they finally took the clip out because they thought he was going to shoot himself. Manic depressant. I said, Well, that describes a lot about our family. Because <laughs> I've often wondered where did this junk start? Because I got about 10 first cousins that's committed suicide. And I had a mom they gave shock treatment to. While she was pregnant with me, which explains me. (laughs) Uh, I got an Aunt Ina, same thing. She was in the mental hospital. But you often wonder, they'll tell you in psychology, and Dr. McCallum told me, you follow the route to find the source. And William Woodsworth said these words, the child is the father of the man. So I don't know what bondage you have in your life this morning, but I guarantee if you trace it back far enough, it didn't start last year. It didn't start 10 years ago. The bondage started growing up. That's where it took hold. A verse in Timothy proves that out. So, my mom got right with God. Let me tell you about my mom. Um, the first seven years of my life, my mom didn't know the Lord. And she moved from West Virginia to Greensboro, North Carolina. And in 1960, she had an affair with a guy by the name of Samson. I love telling people that I got a daddy named Samson. Just sounds good. My dad's name's Samson. She had an affair. Well, this is, 19. I was born in 61, so sometime in 1960, 61, she went to a church in Greensboro. In fact, I'll tell you the name of the church, Guilford Wesley Church on West Market Street. She walked in there, not married, and uh, they could tell she's pregnant. And the people in the church looked at my mom and they said this, hey, are you married? And these dear people said to my mom, well, you're nothing but a slut. You're nothing but a whore. You know, church people can be the meanest people in the world. You don't believe me, study the Pharisees. (laughs) The ultimate church people. Meanness in the guise of religion is pure evil. Period. And so, did my mom make a mistake? Plenty. Did she deserve that? Well, she probably did. Did they, she need to hear it from them? Probably not. So she said, oh, I'm never going back there. You know what happened to my mom? Mental hospital. Pregnant with me, she became very bitter, and she couldn't stand me. You know, words have power. Y'all believe that? That old phrase, "Sticks and stones will break my bones, words will never hurt me." That's a lie from hell. You break you break a bone in three four months. That bone's just as strong as ever. But you get told words and those words are as fresh today as they were 20 years ago. Words power. On the count of three say light. One, two, three. That's what God said and there was light. He created this world by the power of His word. Words have power. Sometimes we curse ourselves uh, I wrote. I think I thought I, I would bring this. I wrote this down. Things we say to ourselves because you know, whether you believe it or not, words have power. Um, say when it comes to mental and emotional breakdowns, we say that's driving me crazy. makes me so mad to think you know what I can't remember anything anymore Now you may think they're just words but scripturally words have power to direct your life according to your faith it shall be done unto you so if you believe you're a failure you're going to be a failure whatever you sow, you reap if you don't believe you're worth anything, well, what? you're not going to be worth anything. If you believe your marriage is pitiful, your marriage is pitiful. It's all in your mind. It's a mind game. I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ was crucified on Golgotha, the place of the skull. Which if you would look at that place today in Jerusalem, you would go to it, you would see a hill that looks like a human skull. I've often thought about this. Why didn't Jesus say that he was crucified on a place that looked like an elbow? <laughs> or a wrist? Or a kneecap? Why? Because if you look at the cross that day, that cross was on a mountain that looked like a skull, and on top of that skull was a cross. The battle is the mind. As the man thinks he is. If you can control your mind, you control your life. That's why the word says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? That's why you gotta be in the word. So, Charles, I just don't have in any, any faith today. You've been in the word. Charles, I just want to give up. You've been in the word. Charles, I'm I'm just so bitter. You've been in the Word? I know this. The Word of God tells us in Psalm 119 that the Word of God can heal you. The Word of God can refresh you. It can give you vision. The Word of God can do all kinds of things. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119 about the Word of God. And out of 176 of those verses, about 158 of them have a reference to the Word of God. The Word does this. The Word does that. The Word does this. And so I just got to know if the Word is that great, doesn't it make sense that we should be in the Word every day? Yes, thank you. Reputable chronic illness. Whenever there's a bug, I catch it. It runs into family, so I guess I'm next. The older I get, the worse I feel. Financial difficulty. I can't make ends meet. My father was the same. I can't afford to tithe. Words, don't you see it? You are cursing yourself. The reason I even bring this up, in the book of Genesis chapter 30, Rachel says these words, Give me children or I'll die. And she died having a child. She prophesied her own death. Give me children or I'll die. She had a son by the name of Benjamin. In fact, Genesis 30, verse 1, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous. You know, you say things out of rage. You say things out of hurt. You say things out of misery that you shouldn't say. When you say it, you say, well, I said those words, but I don't mean anything. That may be true, but words have what? Power. Power. And she said in verse 1, Give me children or else I will die. And four chapters later, she had a baby by the name of Benjamin. And she died. Are well, they're just words. It's not what the spirit world thinks. You direct your life with this baby right here. This baby right here, can break every commandment in the Bible. My hands are limited. My feet are limited. My eyes are limited. This thing right here can't break every commandment in God's Word. I can steal with this thing. I can steal everything about you. I can destroy you without laying a hand on you with this thing right here. Wrong life commands. I wish you'd never been born. I can't believe you. Why, Why won't you be more like your sister? Can't you do anything right? I'm so embarrassed by you. We say that to an eight year old child, a nine year old child, and we wonder why they're so messed up. In words that come from people in authority, they're the strongest words. Who are people in authority? Pastors, teachers, coaches, policemen, people who have authority over you, parents, their words are the strongest because they carry life and death. Are y'all with me this morning? Yeah. Welcome to church. Back to my mom. Thought I forgot, didn't you? <laughs> then the first seven years of my life, my mom was per- kind of messed up, which I can understand, dear old mom. Here's what my mom told me regularly. Charles, I wish you were dead. I wish I would never had you. You know, when I look at you, you make me sick. You're the ugliest thing in the world. The question must be asked: What was Mom saying that? Anybody want to take a guess? Depression. Good point. That was part of it. What else? What's that? Someone said it to her and she felt that way. Hey. Are you pregnant? You married? She's not married. You're just a slut. so do you know what we do with our pain if we don't get it healed we poison people with it and we become bitter and the root of bitterness will defile a few (laughs) No, it says defile many and so I failed first grade I didn't fail first grade because I'm stupid I'm not bragging, but I got two masters now. Graduated summa cum laude. I know y'all wondered, laude, how come and how could that be? <laughs> There's no way in the world. And for the first, well, a long time of my life, I stuttered. You know why I stuttered? I had no self-esteem. I never gave a book reporting class. Not one time. Do y'all ever give a book report in class? Not me. I was out. Or I'd put a show on. Can I show you the show I, I, I put on one day in fifth grade? You want to see a show? Charles, you're in class today, so it's now time for your book report. I thought, uh Because I would get up and I would say, and that would bring shame. And I thought, we'll fix that. My hero growing up was Herman Munster. Remember the Munsters? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. dun dun you all know it? What did Herman do when he got upset? Do y'all remember? Been a long time, I know. I'm not going to do this hard. <laughs> I went to the blackboard, and I fought Herman Munster. Whoa, that's hard. (laughs) We're not doing this. And I took my head and started, boom, boom. And she says, Charles, you need to sit down. I thought, bingo. (laughs) Never did a report. I had no self-esteem, no nothing. Charles said, did your mom ever beat you real bad? Well, I got whippings, but never really, you know, abused me. What messed you up so much? Words. Words. My well, mama got right with God, and I think I've told you before of this story. My mama came home. She met at church at Revival. Got a Baptist church. She came home. I was in bed. She got me out of bed and said, Charles, come here. She took me out of the bed, and put me on the side of the bed. I can remember my feet dangling the bed still in my mind. I remember it. My mom said, I'll be right back. My mom went to the kitchen, got a basin of water, came into the bedroom, (laughs) and began to wash my feet. And she said, Charles, honey, I'm so sorry for all the things I've said about you. And I'm so sorry how much I hurt you. And I just want you to know you're the greatest little boy in the world. And honey, I love you. And for the first time in my life, I heard mom say she loved me. My mom gave me a hug and she says, son, hug me. I didn't know how to hug. I remember her taking my arms, throwing my arms over her back, and I hugged her for the first time. And for the next, well, that was at seven. My mom died at 16. And for the next years of my life, me and mom were just like that. So close. I walked in from school and she'd sit down every day with me at the table. And she said, Charles, tell me about your day. She's so excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she told me this speech, Charles, life is one word. What is it, Mom? Decisions. Charles, you are what you are today because of the decisions you made yesterday. So, son, where are you making in math? D, that's your decision. And she said, Now, listen, do you know how you get right? Do you know how you have a good marriage? And, do you, and when you get older and all this kind of stuff, make right decisions. You start making right decisions, right results. What's that sound like? The law of sowing and reaping. Right? For example Well, Charles, right. where are you going with this sermon? Well, I'm getting there. Just give me a few more minutes. Uh, right here. We looked at this part. Right here. And my mom used to tell me during this time, Leah feels unloved. Because that's what it says. She was unloved. <laughs> Uh, my mom used to tell me, Charles, when you go to school, you find the boy or the girl who nobody wants to be around, and you be and you be their friend. I remember doing that. I remember one day, uh, once again, think talk, think about Leah. Leah was the woman that nobody loved, nobody cared about. She she felt rejected. And as I thought about that part about Leah, I don't know if they do this still. But remember growing up, you used to play kickball in grade school. You used to pick teams. So, y'all remember picking teams? There were always those people who were picked last. Never picked them, picked last. I remember one day it was, came my chance to pick the people on my kickball team, and I decided I'm going to do it different today. And, uh, My first pick was usually the last pick. And I said, I pick Ben. Ben was in shock. What? (laughs) He couldn't believe it. Me, me. I mean he ran like he was like excited. Boy ran up there. My second pick was the second guy that nobody picked. I had a team of people that nobody picked. We played kickball that day. And I mean, they gave everything. They were so excited. Did we win? No. (laughs) But, buddy, we had a blast. Well, the point being this, is when nobody else loves you, God loves you. When nobody else cares about you, God cares about you. When people have given up on you, God never gives up on you. And the Word says in in the book of Jeremiah that God thinks about us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 60 seconds for every minute. There's never a time in your life where God is not thinking about you. And I know you're thinking, oh man, if he's thinking about me, it can't be good thoughts because I know where I've been and I know what I've done and I know what I've been up to and it can't be good thoughts well, see, this is where you roam. Because Jeremiah says, here's the thoughts God has towards you. I want to give you hope. I want to give you a future. And I want to give you tomorrow. In every second of your life, God is thinking about you. Wow. Yeah. one more thing. And I guess I'll be done. Yeah. We'll leave that. Yeah, we're not preaching that. We're not preaching that. i got 20 pages up here, 30. Uh, anything else For I want to pick this thing up? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. So, this morning in February 2024, You find yourself sitting at Central Western Church and you're thinking, man, my life is not where I want it to be and I wish I could make my life better and I need help, God. Well, here's the great thing about God from reading from Genesis 29 and 30 and finally up through the life of Joseph. You know, Jacob had 12 boys. Those 12 boys became who? The Watts of Israel. Twelve tribes of Israel. Were those boys messed up? Yes. Were they really messed up? Yeah. Really messed up? I mean messed up. Is your life messed up? Could be. Well, see, here's the amazing thing, thing about God. God can take something that's messed up and put his hand upon it. And what the devil meant for evil, God will bring good out of it. He just wants you to be available. When we get to heaven one day, and we're going, I'm going, you're going too. We're going into the new Jerusalem. When we go to the new Jerusalem, the word of God tells us we got to go through some, we got to go through some gates. We just don't walk in heaven. There's 12 gates around this city. To get into this city in new Jerusalem, we got to go through These gates. Let's talk about those 12 boys that Jacob had. From those 12 boys that Jacob had will come the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And from those 12 tribes, Judah in particular, will come Jesus Christ in the line of Judah. Can we have an amen? Jesus came to earth, walked 33 years, died on the cross, rose again. He ascended to heaven. One day he's coming back, and we're going to be taken to heaven, to new Jerusalem. Well, let's read about that place with one verse. I think it's in the ver- chapter of Revelation, chapter 21. Here it is. Yeah. 21, verse 12. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And names are written on them, which are the names... Of the tribes, of the sons of Israel, this is named Jacob. Those 12 sons that were messed up, they messed up everybody. God took those 12 sons, did a miracle, and for us to enter into heaven. We're go, we got to go through one of those gates, and it's going to say, see me joseph i'm telling you this god can take your family and do healing in it in a mighty way amen amen father in jesus name we need to be healed and lord i pray you i pray that you would help us to do this by your power And by your grace. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And help me in the name of Jesus to see this happen in my life. your name we pray. Amen. Before the band plays, we do a thing called life mapping at our church. I'm 62 years old. The rest of my life is going to be devoted to this life mapping. I take it from the book of 2 Samuel where David said that he laid on every part of his life before God. And God healed every section of his life. Can I tell you how you know you're safe to be around? Because some people aren't safe to be around. Here's when you're safe to be around. Number one. When you can forgive everyone in your life for whatever they've done, you're safe to be around. Number two. I got you. Went away. Number two is when you can give thanks in all things that you went through. Now, when you can forgive everyone in every event, and when you can give thanks for all things in your life, Those are two big things. You're safe to be around. Life mapping is that. We take you through everything in your life and we say, okay. Okay, for example. Give me 30 seconds. Love that party Friday night. Okay? And talk about joy I'm so proud of the way you have come through this and I know you're still coming through it I would love to sit down with you one day maybe at lunch take you and Ed out to eat and and say this to my dear friend Joya Joya since joy passed away what have you learned about God Well, that's not all. Joya, what have you learned about you? Whew. Be something. What have you learned about people? And what have you learned about life? Now, the reason you do that, the Bible says in Proverbs and in Psalms consider your days. In other words, when you go through hard times in life, God wants to teach you things about you during those times. You learn most about God and about you through the tough times you go through, but we've never been taught how to do it. That's what you call Holy Ghost wisdom. And God will take your pain and you will minister through the scars in your life to other people. Are we healed by the scars of Jesus? Do you have scars? Your scars heal people too. Wow! How can God do that? He's God! Alrighty, I could talk all day. What are we going to sing? Yes, yes, yes. You know, how, how old are you? How old? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. And you're what, twenty? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Sixty-two. And when I look at these two right here, y'all are beautiful too, by the way. I'm not saying that. But when I look at these two right here, I'm thinking, all the stuff we could pour into them to help them by look at my scars. Look at my healing. Look where I got healed. It's amazing. You got a story, brother. Let's all stand. Let's all stand.